O grace to you and peace from our God and Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Well, dear friends, we live in confusing times, don't we? When you and I were young, we had that reassurance always that our government supported our ideals. We kind of had come to understand what it was to live in a republic. You know, you and I, we got up every day. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Now, the, the foundation of any republic is a, a set of ideals. And for us here in the United States, that, that set of ideals has always been the word of God, hasn't it? You know, God said something, I believe what he said, and that settles it. Now, Perhaps we could argue it was a mistake on our parts as adults to not be able to kind of go behind the scenes, to not be able to express exactly why that was. You know, maybe your son or daughter came to you and they said, well, why? And you said, well, because God said it. And they went, oh. Let's see, then they maybe weren't satisfied with that explanation. They didn't bring all the, the pieces together. They just said, well, you know, my, my mom said, hey, the word of God and the word of God said, hey, this is how it should be. And so it, it maybe becomes difficult for us to yes, speak the truth in love, right? That, that's what we're called to do. We're, we're supposed to be able to do it in a, a, a loving way, but nevertheless, we're called to be able to speak the truth. And the, the truth is that our nation founded upon God's word is supposed to be able to teach citizens that when they're going astray, they're doing what is wrong. They're doing what is sinful. And in fact, the Bible says that there are things that will guarantee we don't make it into heaven. Right? You, you and I, we should take those things very seriously, shouldn't we? And again, our, our nation for a couple hundred years, they, they took all of those things very seriously. But now we are beginning to see things changing, aren't we? And specifically, we saw this week that now you know, homosexual marriage is protected under national law. Right? Passed by the Congress, passed by the Senate, the president signed it into effect, Right? And now we're supposed to just be able to, to live with that because our leaders made that decision and they want us to just kind of shut up about it now and not talk about it anymore. But dear friends, we need to be able to bring the pieces together, don't we? 
I think one of the most important pieces that, that God shares with us in his word is that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control. Right? That means if you have the Holy Spirit living within your heart, you, in fact, have the ability to control yourself. That means you, you have the ability to control yourself to not murder someone that you disagree with. It means you have the ability to control yourself to not steal that other person's things, right? It means you have the ability to control yourself to not commit adultery. Because, yeah, that's one of the things. It also means you have the ability to control yourself to not participate in a homosexual lifestyle. A very important concept. And so we simply ask that question, you know, does the, the person have the Holy Spirit? If they have the Holy Spirit, they can live a self-controlled life and not participate in those kinds of sins. But you and I, we often hear the argument today, don't we? Well, well sin is sin. And, you know, Pastor, you always talk about how, you know, we, we all have sinned and, and we all have fallen short. And so how is it when I got mad at my mom and snapped at her and yelled at her that that's any different than, you know, that, as society would say, that that poor homosexual that you're persecuting. Right, because that, that's what we hear all over the news, isn't it? You evil Christians. Persecuting those poor, downtrodden homosexuals. You should all be ashamed of yourselves. You see, because we all have sinned. Right? We, we hear that, don't we? Those exact words. But you know what? The, the best friend of Jesus on this earth, that was the Apostle John, and the Apostle John, he wrote his gospel. We're all really familiar with the, the gospel of John, right? We're, we're going through it probably once a year in our lectionary, aren't we? But the Apostle John, he also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Little books found at the very end of our Bible. And the Apostle John, good friends with Jesus, right? Having spent extra time with him as a disciple, and actually, in some places that the Bible tells us, you know, he's kind of the, the favorite, you know, like the best friend of Jesus. You know, as a matter of fact, that, that's the fellow Jesus entrusted his mother to as he hung upon the cross. He said, Mom, I want you to go be under John's care. John is a really good guy. I want you to go live with him. Okay, that, that's the fella. John, the close friend of Jesus, says there are mortal sins and there are sins that are not mortal. John gave a scale. He said when, when you got angry and snapped at, at your mom, that's different than when you went and murdered someone. There's a level, there, there's a scale. There are mortal sins. There are sins that are not mortal. Now you might ask, well, what is a mortal sin? A mortal sin is, is something that you participate in that causes the Holy Spirit to depart from you. 
right? It, it means when you went out and, and you committed that act, the Holy Spirit, you know, said, I, I can't go into that situation with you. I, I, I can't. Right? I, I, I can't go there with you. Now, you know, we, we, can, we can argue about, you know, what point in the, in the participation of sin, you know, that, does that happen? You know, when I, I made the, the decision to murder my neighbor, right, what, was it right there, the Holy Spirit that departed? What was it, it went, when I went to the Walmart and, and bought bullets for my gun? You know, is that when the Holy Spirit left? Is, is it, you know, when I pulled up to his house at midnight, is that when the Holy Spirit is gone? Right, exactly when does that happen? Well, maybe we don't know that exactly. But we do know, right, that when a person makes those decisions to go and participate in that kind of sin, right, whether it be murder or whether it be theft, or whether it be adultery, or whether it be a homosexual act, when a person makes that decision to go down that road, there's going to come the time when the Holy Spirit leaves, departs, is gone. That sin becomes a mortal sin. The Bible says if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not going to make it into heaven. You're not going to be there. You can't do it. And of course, why, why is that? It's because we all have sinned. We all have fallen short. We all need help, right? None of us under our own power can achieve uh, the grace of heaven. We all need Christ, don't we? We all need that Holy Spirit to come and live within our hearts. Now, maybe for, for some of you, you've experienced it, actually, or at least you have friends and neighbors when you can identify a particular point in time where they changed. Their personality became different. And in the book of Romans, you know, Paul is writing, he says, he gives his list, right? This person, not going to heaven. The person participating in this, not going to be there. The person who's murdering his neighbor, not going. The person stealing his neighbor's stuff, not going to be there. But then he goes on and he says, such were some of you. Such were some of you. But now you're saved. See, Paul indicates in his language that yes, there is a distinctive change that comes upon a person when they have the Holy Spirit. See, and then having the Holy Spirit, they no longer murder their neighbors, right? Having the Holy Spirit, they no longer steal their neighbor's things. Having the Holy Spirit, they no longer commit adulterous acts. Having the Holy Spirit, they would leave the homosexual lifestyle. See, having the Holy Spirit then gives that self-control. The self-control that says, I want to please God. I want to put God first. I want God to be with me in my life. I do not want to take the risk that the Holy Spirit would depart from me. You see, then God becomes first in the person's life. 
You know, you, you think back to perhaps when, when you were, were young, especially, um, you know, maybe the, the first time that you, you fell in love with another person. And maybe just try to, to remember what that was like, you know, maybe for a, a, at least that, that week, a, a, a month, a, a year, whatever the span of time was. You know, you, you kind of thought about that person all the time, didn't you? Maybe when you woke up in the morning, you were thinking about that person. When you went to bed at night, you were thinking about that person. You know, you, you, you were planning different activities in your mind that you could participate in together. You know, you, you're thinking about dates that you could go on and what that other person enjoyed and, and what would make that other person feel loved and appreciated, right? That, that person became kind of a center in your life. And other people looked at you and they said, oh, there's a, a special glow about you. Or, oh, you know, what, what is that, that little smile on your face? Right? What, what is this difference? And it was because for, for that brief time, at least, that other person became more important to you than yourself. So you cared more about them. You're willing to sacrifice parts of your day or parts of your income in order to please that other person. You wanted them to be happy. You put their happiness first. And dear friends, that is exactly you know, what our God is looking for. That's exactly what our relationship with God ought to be like. That we wake up in the morning and there may be a, a little bit of a, a song in our heart. And we get up in the morning and say, you know what? I would like to spend now you know, five minutes with my God. I want to be able to talk to him in prayer. I want to be able to do a little bit of a Bible study, read a little bit of a devotion. I want to start my day right. See, time spent with God. And then as I'm going through my day, of course, there's temptations. Of course, there are things of the, the world that come in. You know, you're, you're driving to, to work and, and you, you hit the red light and now you're going to be late. And, you know, maybe there's a, a couple of swear words or something bubbling to the surface. And you bring yourself back and you say, I want God to be pleased with my life. <laughs> I'm thinking about God. I want God to, to, you know, be hanging out with me. I don't want God to depart. I don't want him to go running off. I want him to be there. I want him to be with me through the day. There's other things that are, are happening. Your boss is yelling at you for no good reason. And, and you know, things are, are piling up at, at work and you're feeling pressure and, and you're having a, a hard time. You're having a bad day. But still, okay, I'm going to take some time and go to the Lord in prayer. I, I'm just going to feel lousy. I'm going to feel sorry for myself. I'm going to wallow in my sorrow. I'm going to think black thoughts. And, you know, well, where does that get us? It doesn't get us anywhere, does it? But no, things are going wrong. I want to go to God in prayer. I want to thank God so very much for the things he's given me. I want to change the direction of my day. 
right? How, how do you do that? It's by giving thanks, isn't it? Right? You begin to count your blessings. You go to the, the Lord in prayer. You thank him for the good things that are coming your way. You ask him to be able to help you endure the bad things that are happening. Right? He's part of your life, part of your joy, part of your sorrow. Right? He's helping you through the hard times. He's making the, the good times better. Right? That you're having that kind of a relationship with him. That kind of relationship where you, you begin to, to think some thoughts and, and you say, you know what, maybe I would like to take this step in a, a different direction. Maybe I, I'd like to you know, participate in, in some of these things that, that my friends and neighbors say are wrong. What does God say about it? See, I care enough about God that I go to his word. You know, the, the person is out there, they're, they're frustrated in their marriage, they're frustrated with their spouse, there, there's a, a, a nice guy or, or, or gal hanging around the water cooler at work, you know, and, and that person says something nice to them, and they say, wow, those are the nicest words I've heard all week. Maybe I, I should take that, that person out for lunch. But see, they're, they're married. But now they're, they're thinking about having a different relationship. They're, they're frustrated. They're tired. But, you know, the Christian goes to that word of God and, okay, what does God say about that? And, and then they read through the Bible. They come to the conclusion, maybe I should stop hanging around the water cooler. Yeah. Maybe I ought to be faithful to my spouse. Maybe I ought to get rid of those extra relationships and not hang out with some of those folks anymore because I want to follow God. I want to protect the Holy Spirit living within me. See, that's the kind of relationship we're supposed to have. And that's the kind of response that you and I should have toward God. I want to do it right. I want to do it God's way. I want the Holy Spirit to live with me because that's the best part. Now, I'm not going to ask you to show hands, but you know, just thinking about it, has there ever been a time in your life when you were lost? Maybe you made some bad choices. Maybe you, you thought, you know, freedom apart from Christ would, would be uh, desirable. You, you're like Adam and Eve looking at that apple. And you said, boy, that apple sure looks good. But, you know, God said, don't touch it. Don't eat it. But, man, it is looking good now. And if I just kind of kick God to the curb, you know, I could take that apple and eat it too. Wouldn't that be fine? Well, you kind of know what I'm talking about today, don't you? Because the Holy Spirit departs, leaves you on your own. You no longer wake up in the morning with a little hymn in your heart. You no longer have a song on your tongue to God. You no longer really care what God thinks about something. Now all that matters is what my good friends think. 
what society says, what laws the nation passed. That's all I care about now. And as long as I don't go to jail, you know, maybe the things I'm doing are fine. And you came to be in darkness. You had no desire to go to church. You had no desire to pray. You had no desire to, to listen to Christian songs or hymns or, or spiritual songs. Now your taste in music completely changed. Your attitude towards others completely changed. You didn't care about anybody else but yourself. You put yourself as number one. You thought that you knew more than God did. That you were more of an expert on what makes people happy. You just followed your own way and you were lost. You didn't have the Holy Spirit to guide you, to lead you, to have that relationship with. You're gone. But dear friends, the reassurance is that God has always said he loves everybody. And God has always said he desires that every single person would be saved. And God longs for people to be able to come back to him, just like our wonderful story of the prodigal son. Now, the, the prodigal son is the, that man I've been talking about today, isn't he? Right? He despises his father. He claims his inheritance. He goes off to a foreign land. He wastes all of his money and wild living. He doesn't have any real friends because they've just been hanging around him because, you know, he's the money bank, you know. He buys uh, the rounds of drinks and everybody praises him and he, he does whatever he wants and people say they want to be just like him. He doesn't care about morality anymore. And then... He finally is broke and he's in despair. The Bible uses that peculiar phrase, he came to himself. His brain started working again. And he said, man, my Dad treats his hired man better than I'm being treated right now. I will go home and ask my dad for a job. And I'll live in the bunkhouse and I'll just be one of the other hired men and my life will be so much better under my dad's care. Right? He repents. He wants to return. He wants to come back. He came to himself. His mind cleared. You start thinking again. He comes home, you know, he has that whole big speech prepared. You know, Dad, I'm worthless. I'm terrible. I'm sin. You know, please just give me a job. Let me sleep in a tent out back and, and, and work for you. And of course, what does Dad say? My son has come home again. Right? He's come to his senses. Right? He wants to be back in a relationship. He desires to be forgiven. He's admitting his sin. He's repenting of it. He wants a better life. Right? That that is overjoyed. And dear friends, God is overjoyed in that same way. Every time a sinner repents. 
He loves for sinners to come home again. But repentant sinners, you see. He loves for people to come to their senses, to come to themselves, to understand that God's way is best and to come back again. Come home. It's his favorite thing. Right? When people have realized their sin, when they want to change, when they want to be with God. Right? God's throwing a party. See? <clears throat> That's how much God loves. He wants all people to come to him. When people go astray, he wants them back again. He wants them to be in that relationship, to be loved by him, and to love him in return. Dear friends, he loved that much that he sent Jesus to die upon the cross so sin could be forgiven. You know what that means? It means that he loved murderers so much that he sent Jesus to die so they could get into heaven. And it means that he loved adulterers so much that he sent his son to die so that adulterers could make it into heaven. I mean, yes, he, he loved homosexuals so much. They sent Jesus to die a terrible death upon a cross so that they could be forgiven. They could repent. They could have another chance. Remember, the apostle Paul says, such were some of you. But you were washed and you were cleansed and you were changed. You see. The Bible tells us very clearly only the overcomers will reign on high. That means you and I, we need to be able to come to the place where we can overcome our sin. And when we have the Holy Spirit, when we're living in communion with God, when we have those gifts of the Holy Spirit, those gifts of Jesus, our Savior, we have self-control. We can overcome. The Bible could say of us, such were some of you. But you are washed and you are cleansed. And you were changed. Dear friends, that is how much God loves us. And that is the message that we need to be able to continue to take into our fallen world. You see, God has a plan for us. And God has a loving, caring ideal for what our lives should be like. And if we will but repent, if we will but find the power of the Spirit within ourselves and change, we too can 
be children of God. Amen. And may the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be in your hearts and minds now and always. Amen.